Okay, well, this morning uh, we are journeying, continuing our journey through John's Gospel. Um, we're going to be doing this uh, right over the Easter period and for a number of weeks. Um, and we're going to be looking, I think we said at the first six or seven chapters. Is that right, John? Yeah, he's nodding. Good. I haven't got it wrong. <laughs> so we'll just be uh, starting this book, really. But um, John is an amazing book. Um, you know, since I've been having a little look at this, I've realized I learned that it's, it's really simple in some ways. Like the Greek is really simple. I guess loads of people knew that, but I didn't. And uh, if you're at Bible college, apparently, and you're learning Greek, this is the first bit you translate because it's simple. And um, so in many ways, John's gospel, a child could read it. But then the flip side of John's gospel is that it will tie theologians in knots. (laughs) I love that. That's so uh, the way of the kingdom, isn't it? That the simple can understand and those that think they're wise get completely confused. I love that. I like to think it's helpful for me. I don't feel very wise. (laughs) And um, as we've seen already, John's gospel is some people's favorite. You know, they jump up and down. They'll tell you how amazing it is. It's their absolute fave of all times. And they'll tell you why. And they just love reading it. And for other people, um, it's a bit uncomfortable. I know as my house group, we read it aloud. They were all like, what? (laughs) By the end of it, it's clunky. It's a bit rambling. You think, what's going on? It's not quite as easy to read as maybe the other Gospels. You know, we don't start with a nice birth and we follow it through. And, oh, yeah, I understand that. And this is Jesus' life. No, John's different. Uh, 90% of what John writes is new. It's something we wouldn't have if he hadn't written this wonderful account. And unlike the other Gospels that were written quite soon, uh, John's Gospel is written a little bit later. John would have been an old man by the time that he wrote this Gospel. He has decided to sit down and write an account. Um, he's, He's elderly now. He's seen a lot. His friends that he experienced these things with, most of them now are dead. They've been martyred for their faith. They've died for the very thing that John says he wrote his gospel for, that you might believe and have eternal life. So he's seen a lot. He's seen the church grow. He's seen it spread. He's seen waves of the spirit move. And he's also seen persecution from outside the church and inside the church. And as he sits down to write his gospel, there are lots that he could write. But he just chooses eight miracles just eight to make his point. And his point is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He could have chosen loads. In fact, at the end, he says, if everything was written down, there wouldn't be a book big enough to hold it. But he chooses eight key things that he wants us to see to convince us that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. 
So that's our introduction to John. And this week, we're going to be looking at the account that John writes of the first people who came to follow him. Okay, Remember, he doesn't write everything, but he gives us a window into five people. Five different people that decide to follow Jesus to become a disciple. So let's look at the text now together. We find it still in John chapter 1, and it's verse 35, and right through to verse 50. So John chapter 1, verse 35, and it's page 1064, 1064, and it starts, you'll see there's a heading, John's disciples follow Jesus, that's where we're going to start reading. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and, I will, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, so keep, keep that with you while we journey through this passage. Let's have a little look. 
So when I was thinking about this passage, um, I was thinking about um, the time I, I lived with Rachel, actually. <laughs> she is actually not listening. <laughs> and uh, when I lived with her, she uh, used to go dancing every week. And um, every week she would nag me, come, 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 come dancing. It's amazing. It's fantastic. You'll love it. Come on. And every week I would come up with an excuse as to why I didn't want to go, wouldn't like it, and couldn't go that week. And then one week she said to me, Lou, come, it's free this week. I thought, oh, well, it's free, I'll go. <laughs> and as I went, literally from the first night, I became utterly addicted to this form of dancing. It was indeed amazing. Everything that Rachel had been saying to me was true. But she asked me a lot before I said, I'll go. And it was only the freebie that did it. And in fact, through dancing, not only did I learn to dance, became healthier, but also met Rob. <laughs> so if I hadn't have said yes, if she hadn't have been so enthusiastic, that would have never happened, and there'd be no Emily, and there'd be no Rebecca, and that would be sad. Now here in this passage, we have similarly enthusiastic people desperately saying to people, come and see, come and see, we found it, we found the one that we were looking for. In verse 41, you'll see that the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Later on, we see Nathaniel being brought, and it's simply come and see. But we also see in this passage something a little bit different, and that's in verse 43. No one has told Philip, no one has drawn Philip, no one has said, hey, come and see, it's absolutely amazing. But we see Jesus finding Philip and saying, follow me. And we don't really know, you know what was behind that, we're not told, but we see these two different things. One, where Jesus finds the disciple and says, come, follow me. And one, where the disciples appear to have found Jesus and say, we have found him. We often have that in our language, don't we? That was the day I found Jesus, or I was searching for God, and then I found him. But just a very small point here. In the Bible, it's really clear that we find Jesus, but first, he finds us. Jesus says to his disciples, you did not call me, I called you. You did not choose me. I chose you. And everything in the Bible is initiated by God, made possible by God. And we need to remember that. It stops us getting that kind of arrogant or self-important or bit where we just think, well, it's so obvious. I have figured out who Jesus is. The only reason we're able to, the only reason our hearts have been opened, the only reason our minds are able to see who Jesus is, 
is because he has enabled that to happen. It was his desire. He saw you. He wanted you. He drew you. He wooed you. He enabled you to come to him. In the Bible, we know that Jesus says that he doesn't want anybody to perish, that they are called to come to him. We know that it says we love because he first loved us. So did we choose him or did he choose us? We know we're chosen, but we have a response, don't we? We have a responsibility. When Joshua stood before the Israelites, he said, um, those today who will, um, those today, you need to choose whether you will follow God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when John the Baptist comes, he says, repent, come follow God. When Jesus comes, repent, come to me. So we have two sides of a coin. It's a bit like if there's a door here and over the heading it says, um, come, follow me, choose me today. And as we walk through the door and we look behind, it says, chosen. They're two Simple signs of the coin. It's about perspective. That's the very small first point. Let's look at our second point. So our first point was finding the light or being found by the light. Two sides of a coin. The next one is following the light. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And we're going to have a little look at this. And we're going to start by looking at um, just this first little account, verse 35 to 39. And we've got John's disciples here. Jesus is passing by. The two disciples heard and they start following. And Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? Sounds a bit rude, doesn't it? (laughs) Jesus is looking for their intention. Do you really want to follow me? And they say, Rabbi, which means teacher. There are Dressing him as their teacher. Where are you staying? Now this sounds funny. You know, they're not asking for his address so they can just pop over later with a cake to say welcome. They're asking him, where are you staying? We want to come and live with you. It's stronger than that. They're asking to become his students. And unlike us now, when we think of the word student or following, we might think of something like going to college, where we might have to go to lectures maybe on a Wednesday and a Thursday, and Friday's a study day, and we get the weekend off. And, or we might think of someone at university, maybe those lucky English, English students who have like four hours of lectures and that's it for the whole week. Sorry, English students, I know you work very hard. Um, but this kind of student is not like that at all. Um, you need to think more like um, Star Wars, if you're into that sort of thing. You know, when you're going to train to be a Jedi Knight... Okay, they, they can't. he comes, doesn't he? And he finds Luke Star- Skywalker and he says, hey, come be my student Mondays, Wednesdays and Saturdays. And the rest of the time, you can have a great time here on your... No. He says, come, be a student. And that's what Jesus is asking. He's saying 100% of their time, 
They're going to follow him. They're going to live with him. They're going to eat with him. They're going to be with him. They're going to be learning how to be like him. And it's 100% full-time study. Okay, That's what they're asking here. There were plenty of people who hung around Jesus, who liked his miracles, who followed him because he fed them and things like that. They weren't disciples. They were just hanging around. And sometimes we can be a bit like that. We're hanging around Jesus. We're in the crowd with Jesus. We like it because we get something from him or it was convenient for us that day because we didn't have anything else to do or it's a bit of a routine and on Sundays we go and we're students of Jesus and then on a Tuesday in the week we're students of Jesus. But to be a disciple of Jesus, that's not what Jesus is asking. He's asking for 100% of our lives, full-time study. He's not asking for people who want to be in the crowd. He's saying, come, follow me, and you will see. Sometimes when we come to Jesus, we can treat it a little bit like um, he's our assistant teacher. As in, we'll go to him and um, we'll get some advice and we may or may not take it. Or he's like a personal assistant. So when we have a crisis, we want him to be there immediately. Imagine standing before Jesus on this day and saying, "Um, well, I'd like to learn from you, uh, but I'm a bit busy, and I do have this uh, fishing business going on, but I'd still like to learn from you. And um, if it's okay, if anything goes wrong with the business, I'd like you to be there straight away. It's a bit shocking to hear that, isn't it? But that's sometimes what we're like. Jesus is not saying, hey, I will come and hang alongside you in your business. He says, come, follow me, leave everything you have. I want everything of your life. I'm not your personal assistant. You're you're working for me. You're my assistant. You'll be where I want you to be, doing what I want you to do, learning from me 100% of the time. He wants our whole lives to revolve around him. So that's point A of following the light. What does it look like to follow the light? Second point, following the light is about transformation. Let's look at the next bit. It's verse 40 um, to the end of that section. We've got Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He's one of the two that heard John. And the first thing he does, he rushes to Simon and says, we found the Messiah, this, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. The first thing he did, he was so excited about who he had found. And when Jesus looked at Simon, he said to him straight away, you will be called Kephas, which when translated is Peter. Now that might not mean much to us. But for the people reading this, they understood it was like a play on words. Peter um, 
is like Petros and Rook is Petra. They're very, very similar words in the Greek. He's basically saying, you are Simon, but you will be called Rook. And elsewhere in the other Gospels, we hear Jesus go on to say, and on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is not just calling us to follow him 100% of the time, but he's calling us to be transformed by him. He looks at Peter, who is at that point Simon, and it says he looked at him. And that word is to behold. It's like he looks through him into his very soul of who he is and says, you are not who you think you are. You are a rock. And when we come to Jesus, he sees through us completely. He knows everything about us, all our faults, all our weaknesses, and our failings. He knows about our motives that day, of our divided minds. And he looks through us into our very soul. And he says, you shall be called gracious. You shall be called the forgiver. You shall be called the merciful. He looks at them and he says, he looks at you and he says, I know what I'm going to make you, who you are going to become. And we see that again and again in the Bible, where Paul writes to any, any of the churches, he says, this is what you used to be. He says, you're no longer that anymore. Now you are this. In Christ, we are the person that we will become. Following Jesus is about transformation, to become who we were made to be. If you imagine um, someone coming, this probably would never happen to me, um, and watching you play tennis one day, and they see you playing tennis, and it's a, a very important coach. He's coached many people. He's won Wimbledon. And then um, he comes up to you and he says, you will be the next Wimbledon champion. It's a bit like that. At that point, you might be thinking, but I've only just picked up the tennis racket. I know nothing about tennis. And yet he's seen something in you that he knows you can be the next Wimbledon champion. And imagine at this point, you have a decision. You can say, well, I'd quite like to be the next Wimbledon champion, but I've got my A-levels right now, and I think I ought to do that just as a backup plan in case this doesn't work out for me. Or I'd like to be the Wimbledon champion, and I'm willing to work for you on... uh, I'm willing to train these three nights a week, but on the other nights, I do something else. If you want to be the Wimbledon champion, you will go and dedicate your life. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's wanting personal transformation for each of us. You will be who he wants you to be. And the third point he brings out, following Jesus, will be not only a change in ourselves, but a change in the world around us. Let's look at Nathaniel's experience a bit further down, starting at um, verse 48. 
Nathaniel, uh, Jesus says to him, sees him coming and he says, you're a true Israelite. He says, how do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you. I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. It's not just a call for individual change but the world to be changed. We don't know what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree. We know that Jewish scholars would study the law under them, so maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe he was sitting that morning and he was reading, especially about the Messiah. Maybe he was praying that God would show him. We don't know, do we? But whatever he was doing, when Jesus said, I saw you, He was utterly convinced. And we can often say this, can't we? If we um, recount our testimonies often, we say, um, well, it was really interesting because I went along to this and I saw this and I knew that God was speaking to me. A bit like on our Try Praying video, that woman, and they were saying, and I saw this and I saw this and I heard this and it was like God was speaking to me. And that can often happen, can't it? And here Nathaniel says, my life, you know what I was doing? You are the son of God. And remember, this is what John wants us to be convinced of. You are the son of God. And Jesus goes on to say, uh, verse 51, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, maybe Nathaniel was reading about that that very day. We don't know. It's a story from Genesis about a man named Jacob who who God renamed Israel. And that's where we get the Israelites from. And when Jacob was running because his name, well, meant to grab, to grasp, to deceive... When he was running away, terrified from his brother, who he had deceived, he had a dream. And he lay down that night, exhausted, slept on a rock. He must have been absolutely whacked. He couldn't really sleep on a, on a rock. And he, in the night, he saw a ladder reaching from heaven to earth and angels ascending and descending on it. And in the morning he said, I didn't know know God was in this place. Jesus is saying, God is in this place. You will see it. I am the bridge. I am the ladder. I am the link between heaven and earth. I'm the way that God's kingdom is going to come on earth. I'm the way there's going to be transformation. I am the way the Messiah is going to come and bring God's kingdom amongst you. And when we choose to follow Jesus, we not only do we choose to say we're going to be full-time disciples, we choose to know that he's going to transform us 
And not, not in an easy way always. Remember, Peter did not have an easy life. If he was going to be called anything at that point, he would probably be called sand because he changed his mind like the weather. One minute he says, you're the son of God, I'm going to die for you. The next minute he says, I don't even know you. That's who he was. So the second thing is, he says, come um, and you will be transformed. And the third thing about following him is you will see the world transformed by his presence. You will see the world transformed. And the third point and final point for this morning is about furthering the light. Let's look at the way that they were introduced to Jesus. Verse 41, if we go back to it, tells us that the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah. The very first thing. When we read the account, Andrew is always the one bringing people to Jesus. You know, he's, he's not featured much. He didn't preach to thousands like Peter. But he was the one that brought Peter. And we see this especially in new Christians, don't we? They're overwhelmed with excitement to bring their friends or tell people passionately about what God has done. They are freshly aware of the just amazing grace of God. This uh, Easter, we have the chance to invite people to come and see and to invite those people who are, um, who are like Peter, looking. They are searching for something. And we've got that opportunity to invite them and say, come and see. The second thing we see, the way that people are invited is Philip draws Nathaniel. Now, if we look at that account, and starting at verse 44, it says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Um, and that was a wicked place. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about. Moses was writing about a prophet that would come, that would speak the words of God in the law, and about whom the prophets wrote also. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see. Nathaniel is your classic skeptic. It's your friend that you speak to that goes, you are crazy. You are absolutely nuts. There is no God. What are you on about? Why are you following this? It's the skeptic. And one of the things um, that you can do for that sort of person, don't argue, just say come and see. We've got an alpha course coming up. You can take one of these leaflets. You've got six to give away. I did two this morning in a very stealth, underhanded manner by leaving one in Costa on the table propped up and pinned one to their board. I've got four to go. And remember, each of you have got to give six of these away. This is your challenge, to give six away, to do six 
invites. And you can do some sneaky ones like me. You can pop it in your neighbor's door. But you probably ought to try and at least do one into somebody's hand. And it doesn't matter if they're a skeptic. This is what we love about the Alpha Course, is it's brilliant for people who are atheists or agnostics. We delight in the person that sits there the first week and simply says, I think this is a load of rubbish, and I'm actually here just to help these other people. Those are the sort of people that we want on the Alpha Course. We're not going to argue. We're just going to say, come and see. Come and have a look. Two types of people, aren't there? There's the ones that are looking and wanting to know that we can say, come, come see what I've found. And we've got the others, our friends that say, actually, I think you're crazy and you're never, ever getting me in a church. <laughs> come and see. That's all we need to do. And the final person we see in here is John the Baptist. And he points the disciples, his followers, to him. Verse 35, right at the beginning. The next day, John was there again with two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And in a previous bit, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Later on, in chapter 3, John the Baptist speaks about his joy of seeing people come to know Jesus. He said it's like, a, it's like, he said, it's like being the, the best man and you're with the bridegroom and you see the bride and you see them come together and the joy that he feels. And that's one of the joys that we feel as we watch the Alpha Course happen is the joy of seeing the bride and the bridegroom come together, of seeing the person he started with, I think this is rubbish, to, oh, I see it's not. It's so exciting to see that, isn't it? To see people come. But we have to invite people if they are going to hear. Yes, God does work in amazing ways. Sometimes he will appear in a dream to someone who has never heard about Jesus, who has never been told. Yes, he will speak directly to people how he did to Philip. But we, as his disciples, have an obligation to not only find the light, follow the light, but to further the light, to further it, to tell people, to invite people, very simply, with come and see. So, let's wrap up there. So this morning, do you know that you have found Jesus and been found by him. Maybe you're hanging around him a lot. Perhaps like Nathaniel, you've still got questions. Why not join the Alpha Course that starts after Easter and ask those questions? Are you a disciple of Jesus this morning? You say you're a disciple, but perhaps there's a niggling feeling that maybe you're not quite a disciple in the way that Jesus meant. Maybe Jesus just gets a small amount of your time. Maybe he is like a PA to you. What is he calling you this morning to do? How will you respond when Jesus says to you, what do you want? Do you really want to follow him? 
Are you trusting Jesus for every aspect of your life? There's a fear, isn't there? Will Jesus ask me to do something I don't want to do? Yeah, quite possibly. (laughs) Your tennis coach would ask you to do stuff you didn't want to do. If you were training for a marathon, your personal trainer would say, I want you to run another mile today. And you'd be going, I don't want to run another mile. But you're trusting them that they have the best for you. And just like Jesus looked at Simon and said, you will be called Peter, he looks at us and says, you will be called whatever it think, you think you could never be called. You will be that person. Jesus wants to transform us, and it's not always easy. He didn't say, hey, come follow me, pick up that, um, I don't know, give me your bag. He said, pick up your cross. It's not easy. And finally, are you making disciples? It's part of obeying, of being a disciple, is to call others to say, hey, come and see. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are so loving and good. From before the creation of the world, you chose each one of us to follow you. When we were lost, you came and you completely rescued us when we were helpless, when we didn't want to know you. And we thank you for that. Jesus, we lay our lives before you again this morning and we offer ourselves 100% to you as your disciples. And Jesus, fill us with that joy of knowing you that just cannot help but overflow to us calling others to come follow you too. Amen.